Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Welcome to the Baseball America podcast. Baseball America, bringing you baseball news you can't get anywhere else for more than 35 years. Now it's time to talk baseball. Hey everyone, Baseball America, J.J. Cooper, John Manuel here on the Baseball America Facebook Live and Podcast brought to you by Baseballism. As you see here, we're wearing a couple of the Baseballism shirts. I'm kind of excited about this shirt, J.J. I'm a fan of the turn two. You've got the... Uh, it's more of a patriotic theme, uh, you know, going on here with the baseball for the, for the instead of the stars and the stars and stripes. So no stars and stripes, just stripes and baseball. But uh, we do want to thank you for tuning in. And our podcast and Facebook Live broadcast are sponsored by Baseballism. Baseballism is the official off-the-field brand of baseball, offering apparel for men, women, and kids. If you're a baseball fan, you need to check out Baseballism.com. That's Baseballism.com. Or you can visit their retail locations in Cooperstown, New York, and Scottsdale, Arizona. Scottsdale, Arizona, obviously perfect time now that we've got spring training underway. And if you go to Baseballism.com and you enter the code BA2017, you'll get 20% off your order. And we thank you for doing that because you are helping to support the Baseball America podcast and Facebook Live. And our top 100 list, which is out at Baseball America, came out Friday night on MLB Network. That's a lot of fun, JJ. We, we, oh, have, to, we, have, fun. To, we have to wear suits for that. This is more comfortable <laughs> to wear Baseballism t-shirts, uh, which are <laughs> – I'm impressed. This is to say, I'm impressed by the gear that we've gotten so far. Um, I'm also impressed by going to MLB Network. That's just a really a fun – Thing that we've gotten to do the last three years to do. Yeah, this is, is the fourth time we've done it. Fourth time, fourth year. Time flies when you're having that much fun. I, I count it by uh, by different uh, experts we've had. We've had John Hart. Yeah. We've had Ron Darling. We've had Billy Ripken and Harold Reynolds. So we have run the gambit so far. Next year, Al Leiter. But uh, <laughs> we've really we've had a lot of fun doing those shows, and this year was no exception. And you know, some of the quality of top hundreds comes and goes, but that show I think has gotten a little bit better. We've gotten a little bit more comfortable doing it, so we'll take a lot of your questions. Here, we took a lot of questions yesterday. We had an all-day chat at BaseballAmerica.com talking top 100. We just wanted to, you know, that show went 1 to 50, JJ. We went 50 to 1. We want to, I think, focus a little bit more attention on the 51 to 100 part. Obviously, we'll take any of your questions about anybody on the top 100 or players you just missed. I would also direct you to JJ's Ask Me A column that went up this morning 
It's also have, easy on the Facebook page today. Everyone uh, that you that got a vote, we what we do, we'll we'll, we'll do a little process. Go here. a little process, yeah. So what we do is every writer slash editor, which we're all basically writers slash editors here at Baseball America, but we asked everyone to put together their own personal top one hundred and fifty, and so that is one to one hundred and fifty, and then what they do is they all send them to me. And I'll get point points on them. So is much better at, uh, at sp- I like Excel spreadsheets. than I am. I like spreadsheets. I like Excel. So, so you Sorry. put uh, 150 points for the number one. You put one point for the number 150th. You put that all together. And then we don't just do a straight. We, we do tabulate it. But we also know that there's going to be some strong variances and all. And what we really want to do is we want to work through those variances. And so what right. we'll do with that is, is that we will say, okay, here is the median average. So we're not, a, it's not, we're not a monolith. Everyone here doesn't rank prospects the oh, same way. Oh, we know. Way. Like, yeah. we know different guys have different preferences and all that. But what we want to do is, is so we'll look at it. One will be kind of a, an average. One's a weighted average where we kind of put a little different weights on, like, okay, well, this guy, you know, John throws his weight around. He's, you know, he's the editor. <laughs> have some weight. So, um, but we also do a median average where we say, okay, I want to filter out. If one guy has this guy at number 140, but everyone else has him at number 60, I want to see that guy is more closer to the 60, sure. you know, just to kind of see, okay, if one guy doesn't affect it too much. We put all that together. Then we go in a room. And it took about three hours this year. Um, we hashed it all out. It took a little bit longer. We, and we were fortunate to have Ben Badler in the room this year, not over the phone. I had him actually here in person, which uh, made for some lively debates for and, sure. Because, again, we all have different perspectives. And we were fortunate to have Alexis Brodnicki here to uh, put it up on the board and put a little maple leaf by every Canadian who made it. Uh, yeah, that was crazy. Team C. <laughs> um, but, uh, but so we do that. We put it all together. And then after that, we go off. And before we're done, we just run it by some guys like, hey, you know, in organizations, like, is there a guy we're, we're light on? Is there a guy that just jumps out? And- right. Which, I mean, it's a, it's a similar process to our top 10s when you're in our top 30s. We're always running those by pro scouting directors. We did a lot of the same thing with the top 100. And, uh, you know, there's no right answer with a top 100 with any prospect ranking. No. There's what you could, I don't mean to sound like uh, Denzel in training day, but it's what you, there's what you know and there's what you can prove you know, it's hard to prove that one player is going to be better than the other player because baseball is unpredictable. So, you know, and we have risk, we have ceiling, and we're always trying to balance that out with these players. And one other thing about our process is, is that this is a culmination, and as such, it's not a blank slate. Right. Um, we try point. to stick. We don't always, but we try to somewhat hew to the order that we had for organizations. Right. In, so some Mitch ex- Keller is going to be ahead of Tyler Glasnow. We had Mitch Keller ahead of Glasnow in the Pirates' top uh, top ten. You know, we really try to hew to that in the top hundred. Even though, and that's a hundred percent true of who's number one in the organization. There will be exceptions with the number two, or especially with the number four, number five. Because right. again, the gradations are very small in a lot of those cases. The other thing that we do that does matter is we look at our draft rankings. It's only been six months. Right. Since we did the BA 500 for draft guys who were drafted. And with that, we don't say we're going to completely blow that up. Now, right. we will modify it. But again, a guy like A.J. Puck, who was considered one of the top, normally the top college arm in a draft class, would be much higher than, what, 84? Yeah. 80, yeah, 83. 83. Yeah. 83. Much higher than 83. But in this case, there, there was a reason for that. But at the same yeah. time... 
again, we try to hew somewhat to that. AJ Puck did get a little bit of bump because we don't forget how good he was. He's a good. He's actually a good dis, uh, discussion point. We have some questions. We'll take a couple questions in just a minute. Let's talk a little bit about AJ Puck, JJ, and the top 100 because he does point to our process. He is a tough guy to figure out. He didn't have a terrible debut, but he didn't have a great debut. No. The, the performance was actually better than the scouting reports because coming into the draft, if you liked A.J. Puck, you thought he had a pretty high floor as a 95 to 97 left-hander with a plus slider. But after he signed, he didn't have a great slider. He didn't throw a good slider after oh. he signed. He was so inconsistent all spring. It's not a great body. And he goes back to one of your favorite themes of the pool of evaluators after he signs is different than the pool of evaluators before he signs. So the guys who draft him and the guys who are making those decisions and scouting uh, in, the, in the draft rooms around the, the, the game, their general managers involved because there's signability now. Are you going to go over your pool limit and all this kind of stuff? How much of our pool are we going to tie up in, in A.J. Puck? But these are guys who saw him out of high school and saw him for so probably a couple years in Iowa high schools because he was a perfect game guy for sure. And he went to a lot of PG events. And he was a dude, top 100 guy out of high school. Yep, 77 if I remember I right. I think you're right. And then three years at Florida, high-profile program in the SEC. Two of those years, he was a big-time part of the rotation. So there was, I think, some prospect fatigue with A.J. Puck, and there was what you wanted him to be. But then those evaluations go out the window. Those still aren't the same guys we're seeing him in the New York Penn League. And their evaluations of the Penn League and in the fall and the instructs weren't rosy. I, I love process. I'll point one other part of the process out. The B.A. 500 is finalized, and there's still good, roughly good three weeks left of the college season. I think our last update came right after the SEC tournament when he was at his best. He pitched into the eighth inning against LSU. That was the deepest he pitched all year. And he pitched very, very well against LSU until falling apart in the eighth inning. And then, so you go from that. That's when we've kind of locked that in because the draft happens before his cr- yeah, season is a done. a week and a half later, basically. And then you get to... Super, you know, regional, super regionals, and Omaha. Diminishing returns. And again, you cannot get over the fact, again, we were talking about A.J. Puck, and I've said this, I apologize to A.J. Puck for how many times I've said this, but you cannot get over the fact that A.J. Puck was in no way a guy that they wanted on the mound with the season on the line. That's not the number one guy in a draft. And And he wasn't the guy they wanted. He wasn't the second option they wanted. He was on the borderline of being the third. Because really, let's be honest, if you talked about that Florida team, there was Logan Shore, there was Alex Fado, and really when it came down to it, they wanted Dane Dunning. That's right. He was probably the fourth guy. No, you're right. I was going to say at least, at best, by the end of the year, he was their fourth most trusted arm. And it was Dane Dunning. And then you say, okay, Sean Anderson versus him at that point. Right. I'd probably right. say that Sean Anderson's more trusted too. At that point, when A.J. Puck's last pitch is a collegian, as he comes out of the bullpen in a Coddled Series game, throws a pitch doses a guy in the head and comes out. Ignominious end to his college career. And we'll see. He's on the top 100 at 83. Again, he's a lefty with who has a chance to have two plus-plus pitches. There's a question of whether he's going to end up long-term starter or reliever, but yeah. he also could be, you know, again, you he, he could be a dominant reliever. He could be. He at, could be a dominant starter. He could be. But he, he could, could be a, a, an Andrew Miller light as a reliever at some point. I mean, He could, he could also be a left-handed Mark Appel. A guy who just never, who flashes it, but never consistently comes through and dominates. Let's take a couple questions, JJ. We have uh, Glenn Turgeon on our Facebook page. Uh, thanks, Glenn, for watching and for following. Asks, how far away is Padres right-hander Cal Quantrill? This is another college pitcher from the 2016 class. He's at number 96 on our top 100. 
Ceiling-wise, JJ, I think Cal Quattro is a top 50 player. But this is another high-variance player with a lot of risk attached to him. He basically didn't pitch for a year and a half. And we're really going off, in terms of track record, we're going off what he did in high school and what he did as a freshman freshman at Stanford. I would say it's a very good year with a great finish Mm -hmm. who also pitched on a day's rest. And will he ever be the same? We we watched. I mean, that was I remember. We watched in horror. <laughs> I remember. We're here in the Baseball America offices. We have the, the the break room in the back that has the TV, and we literally, if I remember correctly, I, I almost feel like I remember where I was, and we watched <laughs> Cal Quantrill come in, and it was like, why, why, why are you doing this? Not good. And not good. His elbow soon after uh, exploded. I mean, or I can't take any more, Captain. Basically, yeah, I mean, it really his, was. His so, elbow turned into Scotty. So he did pitch when we talk about briefly, but he pitched briefly as a pro, and, and he was really good in the Northwest League. And he had, I think, two starts in the Midwest League, where it was like, "Ooh, these guys are better. Those balls keep but, getting hit past me really hard." But as you said, the thing that stands out with Cal Quantrill is you would expect this in some ways with the guy who is the son. Of yes. Not you know of a of a big leaguer himself, but it, it is something where with him, he is really advanced as far as his understanding of the game. Yes. When you talk about him and his pitches, it's almost like he has pitches off of his pitches. Yeah, he doesn't have one changeup. He has three. He has three different grips. He can make the ball run in on right-handed hitters. He can make it run away from them. He could have like a little more turbo sink on this on the changeup. And there has been uh, advancement uh, on the breaking ball. For me, my biggest question with him is, A, the track record slash durability, B, just the breaking ball. He comes into this family of, I love to see a right-handed pitcher where you're best. If you're going to be a starter, I think usually a right-handed starter's best secondary pitch is a breaking ball, not a changeup. For him, it's He's, the changeup. The breaking ball has to get better. It's interesting. I'll segue off of that before we get to our next question. He's 96th on this list. Jarrell Cotton's 84th. Yeah. Jarrell Cotton, the same question. Now, Jarrell Cotton is further along in his career. Right, and he has big league success and significant AAA success. That's why, for me, Cotton was ahead. Right. I think Quantrill has a higher ceiling than Jarrell Cotton. Because he has more chance that the breaking ball is going to end up being an above-average pitch. Right, right. Jarrell Cotton's already got that that, uh, Gil Patterson cutter that uh, virtually every A's pitcher has. So I like Jarrell Cotton. And again, as I've said before, I think he's got a, a pretty high ceiling for a closer because that fastball changeup combo and that 70-grade changeup makes him, I think, a very effective future closer. And this is actually a range where a lot of clo- – we've ranked a lot of closers who've been very effective closers in top 100 history. In fact, I think uh, Craig Kimbrell was number 84 exactly on a top 100. So in my mind, I think of Cotton that way. I don't think he has as high a ceiling as Quantrill, but I think he's proven durable. He's got that 70 changeup. He has big league time. So Quantrill has a higher ceiling – a lot less risk with Jarrell Cotton. The thing I'm interested with Cotton is, is that that cutter can serve. It's not a true breaking ball. Right. But if you tell me that a fastball cutter changeup guy, at least you have some wrinkle there. Yeah. And again, he does throw a curveball and a slider. He part. can start. It, it, thanks to that cutter, I think it does give him a chance where he can start. But I still think he's going to have to have a little something with a little bit more of a wrinkle to be more effective against same side hitters. That changeup really helps him. Can he pitch that? Use that changeup against both right and left-handed pitchers, uh, hitters. I'm not 100 percent sure, but I-, I like the weapons that he has. Again, I think Quantrill. So this top hundred is not all about ceiling. That's a question that we get fairly consistently. Oh JJ. yeah, no, that's absolutely. If we were to just do ceiling, this list would be entirely re-ranked. It's funny. We got a good question. Appreciate all the questions we've gotten, all the discussion we've had. 
on the top hundred if you go to you know discus and and I comment have, on it. Several other good questions waiting too. But but with that, one of the ones is is that they looked at uh, it was uh, Mickey Moniak and it was Laoti Tavares. And yeah. if you look at the grades, you and the ETAs even, you would say, well, why is Moniak ahead of Tavares? Because grade wise, they basically are pretty Similar. close to identical. And so it's like, well, what's the difference? Well, the difference is is that. Like if you look in the Baseball America Prospect Handbook, which is now available, baseballamerica.com, store.baseballamerica.com. But if you look in that, we have them with the same ceiling grade, but we give the risk, we give Tavares, who is an extreme grade, and Moniac is a high. And we do that because we feel that we have a little bit more track record with Moniac. Also, I would say I have a little bit more confidence in Moniac's hit tool and his ability to be a potential 70 hitter. I think Tavares could be that kind of player. I have a little bit more confidence in Moniacs. And maybe that goes down by having more track record. That's possible. A year from now, we will know a lot more on both of those cases because they'll both have a year of full season ball. In the same same league, probably. Which could be exciting. I would enjoy seeing both those guys in the South Atlantic League in uh, in 2017. Let's take a couple more questions. Um, I've got several uh, here. Let's go for Philip Roper. Has there ever been a prospect to, who's going to lose eligibility on opening day, a la Dansby Swanson? I know one that comes immediately to mind was that uh, pretty positive that in 1996, Scott Rowland had 130 at-bats on the nose. So like Uleski Guriel, who also had 130 at-bats and is still in the handbook, not in the top 100, but Scott Rowland was still rookie eligible the next year and was 1997 uh, National League Rookie of the Year. I go. Joe Maurer wasn't that, but was, Joe Maurer was 109, and then I think missed the year after that. And it was all in the big leagues. Yes, like in April, hurt his knee, and then came back the next year was still prospect eligible. That was right. also a unique uh, experience as well. So, yeah. So, uh, Roland on the first day of the '97 season, same thing will happen to Dansby Swanson. And it's interesting, Swanson. I, you know, that was logical on their part. They basically kept him rookie eligible, which you used to see more than you see now. Right. But they kept him rookie eligible. It's like. Is these four at bats because with him they didn't have to shut him down the last week of the season or anything. It literally was like if you don't get any at bats today, you will you will be rookie eligible. I mean, our number one prospect, Andrew Benintendi, should not be prospect eligible. He hurt his knee. He came up early enough in August that he should have. I yeah, think yeah, he came he up been actually, healthy the whole time. It would have not have been a problem. There was really. a comment actually on the top hundred about how he came up maybe the day Gary, before Gary, Gary Sanchez. Sanchez and that Sanchez is uh, is eligible is not eligible, but Benintendi is, which is all about at bats. But if Benintendi had stayed healthy. He clearly was playing well enough that he would have gotten more than 130 at-bats. Uh, Aaron Schoolcraft had no question, but just says, best baseball gear out there. I assume he's talking about baseballism. Baseball America has some gear as well, but not as cool as baseballism. Let's no, be honest. We'll, let's be honest. I feel like we have good trucker hats. I'd say that, <laughs> that's about it. We have good trucker hats. Uh, Joey Sinchak, who sounds suspiciously Canadian, asked, does Mike Soroka draw Tim Hudson comps or Greg Maddox command and location over stuff. Uh, I would I would use a football analogy here. I'm throwing the flag on that because yes, exactly. we have a rule. We have a rule in the Baseball America flag offices. Here. You are not allowed to comp a guy to a Hall of Famer. Correct. Tim unless, Hudson. Unless, I will say this, the one I will make, there is an exception to this. Okay. There is the there is the son of the big leaguer corollary because true. if Vladdy's not, Vlad, Vladimir Guerrero Sr. is not a Hall of Famer not now. Not yet. Vladimir Guerrero Jr., who is Pretty high up on this list. I would say he's jacked up at number 20. Right. So if you ask for the comparison there, it's hard not to compare his, like we did it on the on the, the broadcast. Yes. It's hard not to compare his swing to his dad because it looks very similar. 
So those, you know, those are the rare exceptions. But we generally, when you have the same name as the big leaguer and who's nearly a Hall of Famer, we'll allow it. That's but, the uh, same name corollary. But I, I, a little digression here, which is, is that it's funny how these keep changing. We've been at Baseball America for a long time, John longer than I, but both of us for a long time. And it literally used to be there was when I started here, every right-hander with a fastball of ninety miles an hour who had some feel was compared to. Maddox, yes. and none of, and literally, and we usually change it to a Jeff Soup, right? Comp. But literally, <laughs> they went O for the world on those comps because no Maddox arrived, and every lefty who threw eighty-eight to ninety with a plus changeup was a Glavin, and every tall left-hander was compared to Randy Johnson, and they went O for on that. Yeah, and then you go about three or four years later, and this is not a Hall of Famer, but every shortstop whose tools were a little bit fringy, was yeah. all an Eckstein. Always, always. I mean, it was like, and, and no David Eckstein. No further David Eckstein's arrived. Every organization thought they had an Eckstein, basically. And then they you did, have a lot of guys they, who are compared <laughs> to Pedroia, too. Mm-hmm. That's definitely happened. So these outlier players get that, comped a lot. So that's the digression. But Soroka. Yes. You uh, talked about him on the broadcast. I think the thing about, about Soroka, and I'll, I'll, set, I'll tee you up on him a little bit, which is, is the thing that stands out about Soroka is that Soroka, yes, he is a. When we talk about this, is not all about ceiling. Soroka has a lower ceiling than guys than pitchers who are lower than him on this list. Or other Braves, like say Tuki Toussaint or Max Free. Max Free, they may have higher ceilings than he does. But Mike Soroka, Mike Soroka, I love the fact he is younger than some of the first round pitchers who were drafted. Braxton Garrett is older than Mike Soroka. Yeah, I think to, to me, I just think of Mike Soroka as a guy who. Right now, he has the weapons to be a future third starter because mm-hmm. he has three or four pitches that he has a lot of confidence in, and he has more than one way to get a right-hand hitter out and more than one way to get a left-hand hitter out. As you talked about on the broadcast, he's cerebral. He can spin a breaking ball. He can locate. He has fastball command. Advanced, not just for his age, advanced for a low-A pitcher, advanced for a professional. It's advanced fastball command. So I think even if it's a lot of 55s, the command could be a future six. And the thing that excites me about Mike Soroka is this guy got so much better. He keeps getting better. The Braves were on him. A lot of we, I think we had him in the 80s on our top 100 in the 2015 draft. The Braves took him late first round. There were a lot of teams that just weren't on him as a, as a first-round pick. Then he goes out, and he, I don't, he didn't own the South Atlantic League, but he didn't hold his own either. He was one of the better pitchers in the mm-hmm. South Atlantic League start to finish. He's as so one of the young. youngest guys in the league. And so what if Mike Soroka keeps filling out and keeps the stuff, keeps getting better? I think it's possible, JJ, that he pitches with a future six fastball. And if he has plus stuff to go with this feel and command, then all of a sudden you're looking at a potential number one, number two starter. I do think he actually has a higher ceiling than people give him credit for because I think we're very focused on what he does now. What he does now is impressive what he could do, I'm not even counting on the projection to put him in the top 100, but I think he's actually underrated. I don't think we're overrating. I think Soroka's actually underrated because the body, the northern arm, he could have more in the tank down the line. The, I, the I really thing, like him. The thing I'll say about him is, is let's say that his the fastball— The arm works, too. I mean, the arm, but, there, there are no red flags any kind of, with, the, with the delivery, are there? Not, 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 no, not, not that really. I've been made aware of. But the thing that stands out to me is let's say that his fastball doesn't get better. Let's just say it stays where it is. Now I'm going to go to a comp because go and there. it doesn't work perfectly because Mike Leak is a right. exceptional athlete. Mike Leak was the best defensive shortstop right. that Arizona State had at, at right. a point during his college career. And this was loaded Arizona State. This wasn't like 
current day kind of rebuilding Arizona State. It was like late 2000, the late part of last decade when they were just churning out big leaguers left, right, and center. That being said, though, when you looked at Mike, Sor- you know, you look at Mike Sorokin, you say, okay, let's just say the stuff stays where it is. I look at a Mike Leak because Mike Leak showed up at the big league level with right a lot of 55s. Yeah, not a lot. I mean. Really, be hard to say that he had a, a true plus plus athleticism, but not a p- plus pitch. But yep. he had four that he could locate, and he had feel and athleticism. That's kind of and that's kind of what I think of with Soroka. Yeah, that's a good comp. Um, I like that. We've got a couple more questions. John Murray asks, "Who is the Nationals' most MLB ready guy?" JJ, I guess the oh, the answer to that for like the last four years has been AJ Cole <laughs> in some ways. See, I don't, um, yeah, I don't even. But he hasn't been that guy. I mean, Victor Robles is their highest guy. Wil- Wilmer Defoe, it, but you're saying like, okay, if, if there was an injury and they needed to bring up a right. middle infielder to fill, uh, Eric, I think Eric Fetty. Like, if you said big league ready, I yeah. would probably turn to Eric Fetty rather than AJ Cole. He's number fifty two on our list. I think they would go to Cole first. He's on their forty man roster and, and and see if they can get some value out of AJ Cole. But in terms of like combining close to the big leagues and long-term success, it's clearly Eric Fetty. We, he's a much better prospect. I don't think that A.J. Cole was a reason why they traded, although they felt they could trade other guys. Yeah, Coda, Coda is, and I think Coda is also uh, Coda still Glover, elder. yes. Coda, Coda is still elder. So Coda Glover, to me, stands out as another guy who, you know, from the standpoint of when you say big league ready, I could see him helping in the bullpen. But it's not a system that is full of those guys anymore. They used to – you. we would have been debating Lucas Giolito and Ronaldo Lopez. And I would have said Ronaldo Lopez, and you know that. <laughs> I do know that. We would have debated them on this Facebook Live uh, four months ago, three months ago, but obviously those guys are now White Sox, which Mark Ujoa uh, also posted that he's a big White Sox fan. Also posted, do you think Zach Collins sticks behind the plate long term? Okay, that, was a, that was a good debate point for us in the top 100, especially in the 51 to 100 range. At first, we had Chance Cisco over Zach Collins. And I was like, wait, we, we can't went, do this. Then we were like, wait a minute. Zach Collins hits just as well, has the same defensive questions, and has more power. So even though Chance Cisco's in double A, and I like Chance Cisco, I really like the hit, 402 on base. I, I just don't think you can ignore the fact that this guy hits, controls the strike zone, doesn't strike out. I think that there's a pretty high floor for his bat. This guy's going to be, I think, a big league hitter, whether it's a, as a – where he's def- good enough defensively to be a catcher for the Orioles, I- I'm not sure about that. But our reports on him defensively are pretty similar to those about Zach Collins. Yeah, and you're a bigger Cisco guy than I am. I have a little, it's a different position and all, but I have nightmares of Brent Morrell floating through my head. He's not anything close to Brent but, no, Morrell. But, but, Come but again, on. No, no, but the thing about Brent it is Brent Morrell I had on the top 100 all because of his defense, not because of his bat. But he also, the question was, is he did hit, though, for average. He's never had a But pop. not anything no, close to no. Chance Cisco. Cisco's a better hitter. I'll give you that. But... Collins, I think that with the organization he's in, that's going to help his chance to stick him on the plate because they need it. <laughs> let's just be completely honest. It's yeah. been a black hole. Um, it's not been Diamondbacks level bad, which there was there for <laughs> yes. a while, but it is something where the White Sox need a catcher like that they can literally just say it's your job. And and I like you use the Tyler Flowers line. Yeah. I think Zach Collins will be above the Tyler Flowers line. Sorry to say the Tyler Flowers line is basically that, that's the bottom level you have to surmount to be a big league catcher defensively. No, no, again, again the thing about it is, is. is with Flowers is, is that, again, he's a little rough. You know, the arm, the, the Braves did show, like, again, you don't, and Collins, I think, has a little bit better arm than that. Yeah, he does. But it's really going to be, as you like to say, it's all going to be about the left hand with Collins. Right. And he's a bigger guy. Yeah. 
How well can he move back there? But the track record for both those guys, and what we wound up doing with our catchers, JJ, was we line them up by the bat. Francisco Mejia is the top-rated catcher. Jorge Which, Alfaro. By the way, when you talk about the arm, and Jorge Alfaro has similar arm strength. I think Mejia has a better bat than Alfaro. I think Alfaro is a better defender. He's more durable, a more physical. Um, and then we went again bats with Collins and Chancisco. Our next highest-rated catcher is Carson Kelly, who's the best defender of all these guys, but. Carson I'll Kelly. Be honest is with you, I, I have a little seated doubt about Carson Kelly's bat. This actually came up in the uh, comments on the top 100 at baseballamerica.com. Yeah, he hit 290 plus last year in Double A AA and Triple A. He's still a career 248 hitter in the minor leagues. He doesn't run. He's not a big time athlete. He's a good baseball athlete. I don't see Carson Kelly being a guy who hits for average in big league baseball. I see him being a more of a 240-250 hitter who might hit 10 to 15 home runs and is a smoother and better defender than everyone ahead of him except for Jorge Alfaro. Alfaro is probably the best combination of all these guys, but I think Mejia has a better ceiling because uh, of the bat and the athleticism. I do worry about his size, but those top five catchers, to me, those are the top five catchers, and, and we went, you know, usually, I think, I think all these guys will catch, and I, I, we rank them basically by the bats. Yeah, and we did, and the thing about with Kelly is, is that Kelly defensively is good enough to have a long career. Yes. But lower ceiling for but me. We, but we've talked about with that is is that the backup catcher profile at the big league level, for whatever reason, and I can't I need to keep asking guys about this in the game because it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. But generally, it is your hit tool can be a thirty. Yeah. Good defender, thirty hit, but you got to have sixty power. That is an old school profile, but it still seems like it is in general the profile a lot of teams look for whereas, in their backup catch. Whereas to me, I don't understand why that makes more sense than I'll give an example of the Tucker Barnhart profile. Because it took a longer time. Oh, Chris Stewart's a guy who was in the minor leagues a long time before he came up. I'll tell you what's changing in that, JJ, and we haven't even talked about this. We've written around it. I think the thing that will actually change the backup catcher profile will be the fact that teams don't ask their catchers to start 120 games and anymore. We've written about, yeah. Which we've written about. But if you're going to go 160 games, like 101 guys, 60 games, the other guy are 80 and 80, then I think you're just looking for the two best guys you can find. And I do think we we see that more often. The, the catcher who didn't make the list, by the way, he didn't miss by much. I'm a Tom Murphy guy. I, I like Tom Murphy too. Eight home runs. He got all, he has that profile we're talking about. Tom Murphy, and again, I think you, especially when you talk about an 80 and 80 kind of split, if you give Tom Murphy 80 games and Tony and, Walters and Curl in Coors Field, like, and those two guys are very complimentary because they're yes. very different. 80 games with playing a lot in Coors Field, 15 to 20 homers in, in 100 games yes. is not crazy with it's Tom not, Murphy. It's absolutely not. Got some other good questions on here, so we'll keep on taking them. Uh, thanks, everybody, for watching and for the questions. Daniel Corona asked, JJ, do you see Justin Dunn moving up quickly? Justin Dunn, number 100 on this list. I like that we put him at 100, even though he's a college guy. Again, there's not a lot of guys with his track record. First-round picks who were college relievers until midway through their senior uh, junior season, their draft year. But this guy's got – he spins a power breaking ball, and he's got a live athletic arm. No, he really does. And, no, I, I mean, he's not going to have – if this goes right, he's not going to have a whole lot of chances to be on this list. Right, right. Being a Mets pitcher, right. being a Mets pitcher makes that a little bit easier from the standpoint that – They have uh, other options. It's, it's a rather crowded uh, – and I do wonder with that – is his path eventually going to be a little, at least short-term maybe at some point in the pen just because it's like, well, you're ready, but right. you've got guys ahead of you. It's possible. Um, Mark also asked Marky Joe, a future ace for the White Sox, Kopech, Giolito, or someone else? 
Uh, Ronaldo Lopez is probably JJ's answer, right? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> JJ I, loves Ronaldo Lopez. I, I do love Ronaldo Lopez. I'm really rooting for Ronaldo Lopez because I'm rooting for JJ. But I, I, I do love Ron. I, look, Kopech. I, I, let's talk about Michael Kopech. We've talked a lot about. I feel like yeah. about Lopez and Gilito. Kopech. I feel like that Kopech. There's something now that there's a. It's. He's really good. He's really good. He's His fastball is exceptional. He's probably outside of Alex Reyes. He's probably the most exciting pitching prospect in the minor in, in baseball. Yeah, I, I would probably agree with that. Uh, well, at least who's already in professional baseball. Yes, we're, we're excluding Shohei Otani from this. I'm excluding someone else. Who else are you excluding? Hunter Green. Oh, okay, that's probably true too. Yes. I mean, Hunter Green is. He's very exciting. Hunter as Green well. is, you know, throwing. I'll accept that. I'll allow counselor. But uh, but guys who are in professional baseball, Michael Kopech. The thing about it is, is Michael Kopech. There's a lot of refinement still to come. Right. Like if you watch a Michael Kopech start, and I've watched. Uh, several of them. Mm-hmm. It, it is something where you see these moments where it's dominant, and you see moments where it completely goes away. Right. The thing I'm just trying to say with that is, is that this is a guy who he'll probably go to Double A to start the season. But if they even said you're going to start the year back in High A, it wouldn't be crazy because he's not. I mean, there's still a lot of refinement. There's a lot of control improvement, command improvement has to come consistency of the breaking ball. Right. And ability to locate the fastball for strike one to want, get into because Michael Kopech at 01 is a is way more frightening than Michael Kopech who's 1-0 than 2-0. Right. Well, this is where you and I I think disagree with uh Harold Reynolds that we work with on the top fifty show. He's like to put these guys in the big leagues and let them learn there. I think you and I would rather have him take his lumps in high A or double A but then once the fastball control, because I don't think he's going to have true fastball command yet, but once he's throwing a lot of strikes with the fastball, well, then, then you can get him to the big leagues. But let's, let's see him throw quality strikes with the fastball well, three times through a lineup just, on a consistent basis and he's for not, a couple I mean, Three times a through a lineup is not something that he's really... Right. But again, now let's be honest, we got, no, into, the, we got into the world now where two and a half times through the lineup will be... But, right. But I, I think back to, you go back to the playoffs last year, Carolina League playoffs, him versus Myrtle Beach. And I mean, this is you know again, it's champion Myrtle Beach. Buddy. It's it's the high A playoffs, but he wasn't. I mean, this was not like and that Myrtle wasn't Beach a loaded no lineup. No, uh, well, it was David Bote or Boat, who was uh, their playoff hero. He was he did his six fifteen in the playoffs. But this is like a you know a guy who's kind of bounced around the Cubs farm system, never been a regular, and, and th- th- it wasn't a loaded lineup. Kopech, a, a lot of times I saw Kopech last year. There was this. He was on that 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 tightrope of can I keep it together? Yeah. And again, he's a young pitcher. That's not it's an exceptional exactly. arm. Exactly. This is not denigrating him. It's just let's just see him. To, to me, let's just see him master that in the minor right. leagues. Um, where would Otani slot in in the top 100? Asks Philip Kent Brown. Uh, Visual aid. Here's number one on the list. He's here. Yeah, he's number one for me as well. Uh, as a pitcher or as a hitter or both? Pitcher. I would say as a pitcher, he's number as, one. I don't have enough. I have a little information asymmetry for him as a hitter. Let, let's put it this way. Alex Reyes is sitting here at number – he's number four. He's our top pitcher on the list. Otani has a longer track record of showing the same kind of stuff. Right. Um, every bit the physicality. Yes. Better athlete. Let's be honest. Because, again, we are He's talking, a better athlete because he can rake at the plate. So, you yes. know, so yes. And, again, Otani, when – if slash when he comes over – you you don't give a massive bump, but there is a slight edge to the fact that he actually 
could be a correct. It adds to his value if he could pitch and DH them. He's a better hitter than Madison Bumgarner. I mean, that's but, fighting words I know for Madison, but 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 that is like. I do some, think if Madison Bumgarner, honestly, JJ, if Madison Bumgarner played in Japan, oh, he would and pl- and played eighty games in the field. Do you think he'd hit twenty home runs? I do. So I would actually want to see a home run derby. At Old Wrigley Field, if it's still there in Southern California, <laughs> probably not there. But let's, there, is, there is no way that real estate is just being but left. The thing right. is, I could definitely imagine Madison Bumgarner sitting next to – if I'm doing the call and I go, wow, Shoei Otani really got into that one. And Madison would go, he really hit that hard, John, just like the old show was. Uh, let's wrap up with a few more questions. Philip Roper, I already hit it on his. Lee Allen, what do you think about – well, he actually said, what do y'all think about Braxton Garrett? What are his chances of making the major leagues before call-ups? I don't know about he'll make the major leagues this year. But what no. do you think of Braxton Gary? He's at 80. Where did he wind up, JJ? In the 70s? No, he wound up at uh, 76. I mean, he's the only Marlin on the list. And I know that we had real, like, going into the draft, Braxton Garrett and Jason Groom kind of right here. Jason Groom didn't pitch a lot, but he's pitch. a year younger than Braxton Garrett. So he goes up here. And then Braxton Garrett didn't pitch, barely pitched at Instructs. All of a sudden, that gap got a little wider between those that two was, guys. That was strange. It was strange. Is there another way to put it? That was, I wor- it makes me worry. It I added to his risk grade in the book. Right. It is something where you want to see now I, I things in his favor. I really believe in Jim Benedict and what Jim Benedict does with pitchers. I would agree. That's a very good, good track record. A good track record. But I feel I, better about a Marlins pitching prospect now than I did a year and a half ago. That being said, I don't know. Like, Does he feel like a guy who goes... To full season ball, like he literally, do you want his first outing as a pro? And we almost mean first outing, period. Virtually his first in a professional uniform. To be in the South Atlantic League. You're on a team that will not wear digital camo uniforms. Where do we want that to happen? But <laughs> we could get into a John rant yes. about the, uh, the uh, nicknames. But yeah, in the, I but think but he's going like, to start an, an extended spring more likely. Will he then go to Greensboro right. for I, like say seventy five innings in the Sally League? I think that's probably the best bet. I for think him. that's probably the best bet. If that, I will say, if he's not going there, there's a problem. That's a that would be a, a, a big time concern from the standpoint of. I agree, especially considering his age. If he's not ready for the Sally League this year, but it, compare that to Groom, I'd be stunned to not see. You know, again, they may hold him a week, a couple of weeks, let it warm up a little bit, right? But, or innings related reasons, but Jason Groom, you feel very comfortable. Is headed to Greenville, and he has such physicality. I'm, I'm, I'm enthused. I'm, a, I'm more enthused about Jason Groom than I am about. And that's Braxton why Garrett. we have Groom significantly higher in here. But I do look at Groom, and I say, I, he's a guy I've, I've even talked about that I could see as a top 25 guy next year. A couple last questions, and we'll wrap up. Adam Jones, who, in your opinion, are your top three prospects that will make it big in the show for the Braves? JJ, you're a big Braves uh, prospect hound, uh, especially because their system is so loaded. It's so. So, on your personal top three for the Braves. Well, let's let's leave Swanson and um, and Ozzie Albies out of it. Let's okay, go. Those are easy. Those guys are easy because I think we both take those two guys. But out of the rest of the Braves system, what's your I'll, top three? I'll go Ron Acuna, and the reason I go Ron Acuna, number well, sixty-seven on our list, and that gets to us because uh, Philip Roper asked, "Is the Acuna hype getting out of hand? Half season in low A, and he's in a lot of top fifties. He's well, not in our top fifties. We, we have sixty-seven because it was forty games last year. Yes. That being said. Ron Acuna has the upside to be right. a really significant guy. I'm going to go Kevin Maitan, which I'm going a guy who literally, when we listed the top 100, you can't link to his player card yet. 
because he doesn't have a player right, exactly. card yet because he's yet to play an actual game anywhere. Right. And this is unlike Braxton Garrett. This is He wasn't allowed to. 16-year-old to sign July 2. You make your debut the next year. Um, so, But Kevin Maitan, we do not put July 2 guys in the top 100 before they've played a game, usually. Very, very rare. The last one we did was Miguel Sano. Right. That worked out pretty well. Sure. Kevin Maitan has made it because... He's a better athlete than Sano. I don't think he has Sano's top-of-the-scale power. But he's a better all-around prospect than Miguel Sano was. Right. When you talk about bat-wise and all, he is talked about in the ways of the best guys coming out of the international class in years. So you're going to be... I mean, it's going to be fascinating. We're talking about a guy who will come to the States almost assuredly to make his pro debut, which mm-hmm. that's something the Braves do for the yes. top guys. But that's right there means that he will be advanced. Because Correct. if you are playing in the GCL, basically in your pro debut season, signing as a 16-year-old, you are advanced. And this guy's going to stay in the dirt. Uh, he's going to be an impact infielder with an impact offensive ability as well. He just is one of the more well-rounded guys. He would definitely be in my top three uh, of those Braves and guys. I mean, for me, it really is our, like our order. Soroka, Acuna, um, and then uh, in my time. But I would say next for me, I, I was advocating for my, Max Fried, the back of the top 100. I think it would have been a really fun number 100. He's a left-hander with big stuff. I understand why he's not in it for a lot of my peers here at BA because his walk rate wasn't great. He's 24. Right. I Most mean, that, of their guys that, in the 2012 draft class, as you know, are in the big leagues. That, you, know? they, you look at his draft big class. Leagues. You look at his draft class and the high school guys from it, are mostly guys who either have a year in, you know, the first-rounders who've made an impact have had a year in the big leagues or at least a half year in the right, big leagues. Right, It's It's Seager. It's Correa. It's guys like that. Even the pitchers from that, it's like... Even Giolito has been in the big Lance leagues. Lance McCullers. And, and Giolito missed a year with Tommy John, too. Lance McCullers, all yeah. these guys. And we're talking about a guy, and Max Fried at the end of the year was dominant. But then you're like, he should be dominant. Correct. He, exactly. He's dominating guys who are a couple of years younger than him. He, he, should, was, he had 24 strikeouts and 14 at-bats. I mean, 14 innings. So I really like the fact that the stuff came back, JJ. Right, I do. But he played a lot of low A in 2013. We talk about Jason Groom right. making his debut next year, or this year, in the Sally League. Max Fried did that, and then three years later, here he was back. So I do expect this to be the year. Now that he has the year of Tommy, year and a half right. behind Tommy John behind him, this is a big year for him. This is a big year, and you expect him to move faster this year. He's already on the 40-man. Yep. At some point, you have to speed up his clock because you don't. You, he's going to use an option. Right. Now, speaking of speed up, we got to finish. Yeah. we got to wrap. Jonathan Martin, Ryan Smith, get the last two questions in. Best offensive career, Glaber Torres, Ahmed Rosario, Franklin Barreto, or Brendan Rodgers, J.J.? Glaber. I would also say Glaber, but I would give a, a very strong second to Brendan Rodgers. And I'll, I'll go I'll go and say, I'll say this. It's, Ahmed Rosario, I feel comfortable about having, like, he's going to have a long career. Yes. A little less impact maybe, but long career. I would agree. And Ryan Smith asks, in your opinion, who's an underrated prospect in a weak Detroit Tiger system? My short answer would be, even though he's rated fairly highly, I, I could have seen Kristen Stewart in this top 100. He's atrocious defensively. I mean, like, he's really bad. People, I but said he, people were upset about, you've got Josh Bell with a 30 defense. Would we have been able to go 30 with it would have been touch and go whether you give a 30 to Kristen Stewart. He might be a 20. But to me, he's a very similar player to Dylan Cousins, who hit more home runs last year, 40 home runs. Dylan Cousins is a better athlete. But Kristen Stewart 
has a very long track record of hitting for power. It was more than 60 home runs as a prep in Georgia. He's like in the top five all time in documenting a high school career for home runs. So he draws a lot of walks, hits for power, kind of basically reminds me of uh, Pedro Alvarez, but uh, who you know hasn't had a great big league career. But I do think Kristen Stewart can be a second division regular or maybe a solid average regular, but you're going to have to hide him uh, defensively. He just he has to get better. He has to want to get better defensively to be playable in left field. But if Chris Davis is one of your better big league left fielders, and he's hit like he's had been one of the top home run hitters in the left field the last three years, Kristen Stewart can be that similar kind of player, but his left-handed bat. So that said, I, he wasn't called, like Bobby Bradley, similar player who's a first baseman, but not yeah. great defensively and all that was going to make this list before Kristen Stewart. I do agree with you. Oh, yeah, I'm not saying Kristen Stewart's a top 100 guy by any stretch. I mean, he was close to the back of the top 100, but underrated Tiger guy. So he was number two with a bullet for the Tigers, and no one else was close to making the top 100. Right, we can't say Manning is underrated because Matt Manning is rated. Exactly, he's properly rated. So that should wrap it up, JJ. Um, But we were very excited to, uh, to do these, obviously. Every week, and very excited for our gear. So uh, I hope you I hope you like the the baseballism gear as much as we do. And we do want to remind you that our Facebook live broadcast and our podcast are brought to you by Baseballism. Baseballism is the official off the field brand for baseball, offering apparel for men, women, and kids. If you're a baseball fan, you need to check out baseballism.com, or you can visit their retail locations in Cooperstown, New York, and Scottsdale, Arizona. Visit baseballism.com. And enter the code BA2017 to get 20% off of your order. For John Manuel, I'm JJ Cooper. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for the downloads on the podcast. So long, everybody. This concludes our program. Want more in-depth baseball coverage? Be a better fan. Visit BaseballAmerica.com to get more comprehensive baseball coverage.